Hi, this is Vicki Peterson, and when I'm not busy baking vegan nut bars and knitting sustainably farmed sweaters for my friends, I listen to Jukebox Graduate. Thank you so much, Vicki Peterson. This is the Jukebox Graduate, and I'm Eugene Edwards. I'm Dave Rayburn. Now, Dave, let me start off by asking you about your recent experience seeing Bob Dylan. Yeah, because this was all over the tabloids, right? Everyone's reading <laughs> about it everywhere. Well, okay, for, we, now, here's the thing. I was in New Orleans a couple of weeks ago, yeah. right? And um, Jameson and I uh, took a, a, a lift car to, to a restaurant, and you know, she's the driver's asking, so what are you guys in town for? We told her we're musicians, played a concert. Mm-hmm. And she tells us about how she had recently gone to see Bob Dylan. And uh, she she enjoyed it, I mean, you know, and which surprised me because it seems like over the years I'm always hearing from people who've gone to see him and they just walk out confused. But yeah. I'm confused yeah. by their confusion because there's absolutely no proof that going to see Bob Dylan entails seeing a baby boomer rocker playing his songs exactly as you remember them. Exactly. There's no evidence that that will ever happen. Right. And the man has been pretty much on this never-ending tour since yeah. 1986 or 7. Uh, he's been rearranging songs. I mean, it's been... He's obscured the songs in a way from, from the original records. And he's been doing that for now decades. decades yeah. And people still watch... And as if you couldn't just kind of, oh, I don't know... <laughs> Re- do a little research and say, "Hey, what's what's Dylan sounding like recently?" YouTube will tell you. Yeah. So, but but she but and I was kind of re- I was relieved to hear someone say, "No, no, it's good. good you know, it's good." So, so what was your? And of course, you've seen Dylan a lot over the years. No, no, no. I've seen Dylan once at the. You saw him at the Wiltern or Pantages? No, Pantages. Okay. Now, so that was the one and only time really? I had seen him previously. Yeah. Oh. I thought right. I thought I might have mentioned it on the show, but just a refresher for oh, those who have taken a break. You're, you're Dave Ray Byrne. Yeah. Oh, wrong guy. Sorry. Okay, continue. Is our guest waiting outside? The real? <laughs> <laughs> He's in the trunk. Um, yeah, I had only seen Dylan once before, and this was in 2005, and he was playing at the Pantages, and it was a great package show. Uh, mm. The openers were uh, Amos Lee mm-hmm. and Merle Haggard. Okay, yeah, you did mention this before. Amos Lee, I was into a lot at the time, really loved him. I've seen him live a couple times, and he was great. Merle comes out there and just slays it. Yeah. He, he does the Roger Miller jokes where he's introducing the band to each other. That's right. I'd like to introduce, introduce the band, and then they all start shaking each other's hands uh-huh. and just ignoring That's the audience. Gag. I love it. And and he, he sounded great. He played great. Oh, this is going to be a fantastic evening. Dylan's next. And Dylan comes out. Now, this is the one I think I told you I, I had brought a, yes. a date to, yes, who made me a <laughs> Dylan mixtape and, and threw a Steelers wheel song on there. <laughs> Oh, it's such a bad sight. But, yeah, uh, yeah. We just talked about this recently, actually. But but she had enough in her system, I think, to to note to me that "Idiot Wind" was a great song in the oh. Dylan canon. So I'm thinking, wait a minute, she's she's she knows something here, and then I, she throws I can't get know, a fix on this person. Actually, <laughs> I don't trust this lady at all. Yeah. So that was the last time we went. On. Okay. And, and so uh, you... <laughs> anyway, so so the Dylan's next, uh-huh. and I had a hard time that night because, as you mentioned, he rearranges the songs almost half the show I'm guessing I'm thinking that I know what song's being played at the moment and it doesn't turn out to be that song in the end it's it's something totally different so but my other problem at the time and I didn't know really the back history on it was that 
he didn't come out. He didn't play guitar at all. And, you know, you look on all the shirts in the lobby that they're selling. You know, he's got a guitar strapped on him. And, but they're old shots and everything. I'm just thinking, you know, I want, I'd love to see him do one of those folk singer protest songs that he always did. But he was behind a keyboard uh-huh. the whole night except for one song he came out to center stage and played harmonica and then went back to the keyboard. So yeah. I was like... Damn it, I'll never get to see him play guitar. Or is it just this (laughs) night? Dave, can I... I mean, this is not for the sake... Oh, yeah, it actually is for the sake of argument. (laughs) Your turn. It's not Clapton. It's not Andre Segovia. No, I just want to see him play the chords or something. What What is the attraction there? Really? (sighs) Okay, at the Hootenanny... Because he's going to play a teenager that much differently than anybody else? No, no, but just to see it happen. Because, like, I'll tell you this. I was at the Hootenanny (laughs) Hootenanny Festival in in Orange County, like, Uh, this is about uh 10, 15 years ago when they are still doing them. And uh, Lee Rocker had a special guest come out. It was Scotty Moore. And they went into, like, Mystery Train or something. Mm -hmm. And the whole time I'm watching that performance, I'm just watching Scotty's hands. Of course. And in my head, I'm like putting the whole timeline together like that's the guy that started it all and i'm watching him do it right there and that that meant a lot to me okay but the analogy's not on the money if i may because scotty moore is known for being elvis presley's original guitar player but i guess what i was after not necessarily was seeing like a certain progression being played on the fretboard i wanted to see you want to see iconography i wanted to see the outline of bob dylan holding a guitar strumming it that would have been that would have been cool. Okay. Okay. But you know, I, that's it wasn't a make or break thing. But I did walk out of, and then I before going into that show, people were telling me Dylan's either on or he's not on. Mm-hmm. So just you know, and you never know what you're gonna get. And I just took that as like, well, maybe this was an off off night for me. I don't know. But I got to see Dylan. So like for me, it was important to like see that icon in person. I just don't have the the memories that go with a lot of the documentaries and the foot and the non-documentaries yeah. that we've seen in the past. But uh, so I walked out of there thinking, well, okay, maybe it won't get better than that. Maybe I won't go see him. I mean, but I saw him done. Right. It's a bucket list. So this tour gets yeah. announced and this is the, the first set of shows in the U S this year mm-hmm. coming this late in the year. Oh, I think wow. he had been touring Europe. Okay. So I went on YouTube and I was watching some, early 2019 performances doing your research doing the research it's like you know these aren't so bad and i'm looking at some of the set lists and some of these songs would be cool to see yeah okay so they announced the show at the brent event center in irvine which is reasonably close to home i live in riverside county the show's in orange county california and uh so i reached out to a buddy of mine to send hey what do you think Mm -hmm. he's a dylan fan so what do you think do you want to do you want to try this tickets are reasonably priced okay so we, we buy in, we get some tickets. It's at the Brent Event Center, which is, uh, I may have mentioned this before, the one and only concert I went to with my dad was Willie Nelson that's at the right. Brent Event Center. Yes, you have. That's right. And uh, so that's the first time I'd been back since. And, you know, decent seats. We uh, we meet up with a buddy outside and we're talking we're talking Dylan, Dylan history. And then uh, I jokingly throw out the uh, idea, hey, uh, Craig, what maybe during the set we should like play a little game and try to guess what song's being played. You know, because mm-hmm. it's like, well, the last time I saw him, it was kind of pretty much unrecognizable <laughs> here or there. It's like, oh, okay, well, whoever guesses it first and get, we'll, we'll keep track. This will be, we'll make it fun. Right. And we're seeing Dylan. So we go inside and the place is packed. He's got a great draw. This is the first show of this American tour yeah. uh, for this leg, right? And uh, so nobody knows what he's going to do. And uh, uh, we we get in and I'm getting my first beer in the line. We hear the first song come up. So we, you know, we grab our, our refreshments, whatever, right. get back inside, and we're we're watching the show. And 
he sounds great. Now, I'm, I say this in the, in the sense that he doesn't sound like Cookie Monster. He sounds more like Don Imus, I guess, than, than that. <laughs> so he's not, like, he's not like, you know, singing angelic melodies or anything. But it's like, I can, uh, I can understand him. And he's like singing a little bit clearer. There's a discernible melody here and there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so just uh, the set list near the beginning of the set, It Ain't Me, Babe, Highway 61 Revisited, mm. When I Paint My Masterpiece. Those mm. three in a row, wow. right? Wow. A uh, couple songs later, Simple Twist of Fate. Oh. I'm like. Man, we're like elbowing each other, going. This is he's, he's killing wow, you. This is this yeah. is a great, great show. Uh, make you feel my love. Got, really got the biggest response, I think, for the night. No, because uh, probably because it's a, a, one of the more the latter day Dylan songs that got a lot of attention because Garth Brooks covered it, uh, Billy Joel covered it. Yeah. A lot of people put that song out there, so it's it's mm-hmm. almost like Jeff Buckley's version of Hallelujah. You know, I guess it gets mm-hmm. out there enough to where people are very familiar with it. Uh, that that got a great great response, but a couple of the things that um, one of the things that made news on RollingStone.com was uh, the mention of uh, Lenny Bruce being played for like the first time <laughs> in well over a decade. I I wouldn't have caught that to be very yeah. honest with you. Um, and then the band he's got a little bit uh, of a different band going on. Matt Chamberlain has joined. <gasps> oh wow! Who had a, a brief time with Pearl Jam, I think, in '91. So, but- do you know much about my, Matt Chamberlain? Not too much. I, I there are some notes here who he's played with, Soundgarden, Tori Amos, Wallflowers, Liz Fair. So he's what else? Well, well, um, that shuffle on one headlight, by the Wallflowers, yeah, masterful. Chamberlain's on. He's sort of just the predominant. I'd say he and Josh Freeze would be uh, from, formerly of the Vandals. Yeah, um, yeah. Would, are the predominant session drummers in L.A. on the West Coast and have been for the past couple of decades yeah um honestly uh those guys can t- just take any gig they want they're they're and chamberlain is uh it's hard to to uh explain just how great this guy is as a musician mm-hmm. and from what i understand a really really lovely guy too i know some drummers that know him um but you know on any given day say hey matt what do you what are you into right now? And it'll be like Bulgarian folk music, odd meters. He's absorbing. Stuff. He's just constant. He's he's never done learning. Um, like Ginger Baker. Oh, the dear departed. Right I'm still telling the Seven Eleven joke though. <laughs> what did Ginger Baker and Seven Eleven coffee have in common? They both suck without cream. I oh, love that wow. joke. Wow, wow, love that joke. Um, he'll be missed. He's, yeah. So, uh, but Chamberlain playing with Dylan would be interesting because that's the thing is like if Dylan's just going to throw curveballs at the band, which by mm-hmm. the way, the band does not resent the, ba- that's the gig. Dylan's going to start something up, just follow him, mm-hmm. latch onto a groove and just see where it goes. Um, those, all those guys have been used to it for, for a very long time. But he's, he's not doing the Chuck Berry thing and switching it up like a third of the way through the song, no. changing keys. No, no, I don't, <laughs> no, I don't think so. He, he's keeping those guys with him on the road, so he doesn't really oh, want to upset him too much. Long, yeah, those guys have been there for a long, long time. Yeah. That bass player, uh, was it Tony Garnier, uh, was was with him. For, is it still the bass player? I don't have that listed. The other new mention here is uh, Bob Britt as an additional guitarist mm. who did time with uh, Fogarty, Dixie Chicks, Leon Russell. But his, uh, I guess he'd worked with Dylan before on the Time Out of Mind sessions. Yeah, okay. So he played on a handful of tracks on that record, too. But the band sounded great, right? Oh, the band sounded wonderful. Yeah. And and I don't know if it's because of that that just sort of reinvigorated Dylan, but I mean, Dylan was great. He was playing 
piano and keyboard. And so there I was getting a little more variation. I mean, in the, uh, uh, the Pennebaker films, I was seeing footage of him playing piano. So yeah. I was getting a little bit of that iconic, oh, iconic ballad of the imagery. Ad, uh, yeah. footage. Yeah. So I was like, I was enjoying that. And uh, so we get about, I don't know, uh, 45 minutes, 50 minutes into the set. And I'm thinking, my beer's empty. This is a great show. I want to, I'm going to go get it. I'm going to go take a leak and get another beer. Okay. I'll be right back. Yeah. So I go and I get out there and uh, the refreshment stand has a big sign up saying uh, no alcohol after 9 p.m. So I can't get my second beer. So I'm a little deflated at that point. Aww. I thought, well, I'll just, okay, I'll just go use the restroom. Mm-hmm. So I go into the restroom, do my thing, go over to the, the sink, washing my hands. There's a guy to my left washing his hands, putting the towel to his face. He's got a cell phone in his left hand. And then he just starts talking to the mirror that he's looking in. He says, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just human, you know? And then he turns to his right and looks at me. And because when somebody just like starts talking and I didn't, I didn't initially walk into that conversation. Sure. I'm a little like, okay, what's going on? Right, what's of course. He turns to me and he's all, after saying, I, I'm just human, you know? And he looks to me and he says, he kind of holds up his phone and he's got a website loaded up on his phone. And it's a, uh, it's like some Riverside County criminal, uh, I don't know if that's like a, a rundown of like bookings and, you know, crimes and what, you know, like you can go to those government sites, those county sites, and you can see all the police calls and ambulance calls okay. and all, all kinds of things like that. Um, <laughs> I'm shaking here telling this. Um, he's showing me this and he points at it. He scrolls up a little bit and I see the Riverside County insignia at the top and he says, my wife was murdered. And they just caught the guy and they just booked him on homicide. And I had to tell somebody. And he just opened his arms and I just gave him this huge, oh my God. huge hug. He had just got this news at that moment in the middle of the Dylan show. And I'm just, I'm just giving them this big hug. And he's just saying, you know, I'm just trying one day at a time to get, you know, to get by. I wasn't sure if I should come or not, which I think he may have had the tickets already. I'm sorry. I'm a horrible human being because that's exactly what I was thinking right now. Did he get the tickets before or after the murder? <laughs> no, I, I, I it, maybe it was a thing like he and his wife were going to, I don't know when this Please, happened. Jukebox graduate listeners, please write in and say you were thinking, wondering the same thing at the same moment. Please. <laughs> just, I just need one person. Gene does not need to be isolated I just, like oh that. Oh my God. Because <laughs> I just, <laughs> It was just, it was such a, an, uh, I mean, of all places, like, okay, rest, restroom break at the Dylan show, and this guy here is just getting this news, and there's nobody with him to, like, share it with, and and he needed that hug, and he was just... What a moment! We talked for a few minutes, and, uh, you know, are you going to be okay, man? You know, just one day at a time, one day at a time, and I said, I'm so sorry, man, I'm so sorry, but this is maybe going to be the road to some closure, you know? And I, I start to walk back, and thankfully, Jesus. if I had a beer in my hand, I'd probably be shaking it all over the place, because I'm like, what? Oh, oh my, my goodness. God. So I'm waiting in the back of our section, politely for the song that's being played to finish before I make my way down the aisle and go back into my seat. So I wander my way down there, and now I can't tell anybody about this, because now I'm inside a show, and I don't want to be the Gabby, like, hey, Craig, you won't believe what you just right. said. So I've got this in my head. <laughs> And, and and so Dylan goes into A Girl from the North Country. I'm not really processing the song as I would have had I not gone to the restroom. I'd be like, oh, another great song I love in yeah. this set. And this, he sounded, this is a great show. I'm now, I'm now at a different show. Mm. The very next song. 
Shadows are falling And I wear her all day It's still hard to sleep Time is running away Feel like my soul has Turned into steel I've still got the scars That the sun lit So, so this song, so this song is going, and this is my first full song, kind of a, you know, adjusting to this conversation I just had with this gentleman, this yeah. experience. And that song has hit me like a ton of bricks, and I'm trying not to be too emotional, because um, I'm thinking, you know, a life experience just happened here. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not just enjoying this great Dylan show, but like so I experienced something I wasn't anticipating. Well, in somebody, I'm sorry, but in somebody else's life story, yeah, you make this random cameo. It, You're there forever yeah. in his story. Okay, good. So surreal, and for you know, and likewise, you know, vice versa, you know, because I, oh, this sure. is something I'll never You're forget. You're never going to hear these Dylan tunes the same way, right? And it's, not just that night, but from here on. It's out. interesting because, like, I don't know, uh, what was it, a year or two back? Uh, you had I, I never really knew that song up until you had mentioned a. I, th- I want to say was it a, like a Shelby Lynn? Was there like some sort of trio cover of that song, "Not Dark Yet," um, that you you turned me on to? You know. Uh, did did she do that with her sister on that? Oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. That um, that song is something. Uh, uh, that's kind of something that I, you know, sometimes if I can't sleep on the road, yeah, I have a little travel acoustic guitar and mm-hmm. I'll I'll just play tunes to myself. And that's for no other reason than I love that and Shooting Star. Uh, you know, I saw a Shooting Star. Mm-hmm. There's a few Dylan tunes. Um. That I, I just kind of sing to myself, and Not Dark Yet's one of them. It's, it's gorgeous. And I, I'd really, honestly, and I told you in that the, the Scorsese-Dylan episode that we did a couple episodes back, where I'm I'm not the know-it-all on Dylan. Mm-hmm. I try to know as much as I can. Yeah. I don't know every detail about every era, but I try to dig in as much as mm-hmm. I can. And Not Dark Yet was one of those songs that never uh, permeated my brain oh. in such a oh. way until you introduced it, that Shelby Lynn version. And... um and we played a little snippet of it on the show, and I fell yeah. in love with the song, and I went back and found the Dylan version. I'm like, oh, these are both fantastic, yeah. too. So when, so that song already, you know, by that point, was in my back pocket. And when it came up at that very moment, I was just, oh, mm-hmm. my God. And then the rest of the show was, yeah, uh, got to serve somebody, uh, long and wasted years, takes a lot to laugh, takes a train mm-hmm. to cry. Um, just... Walked out of there. I'm like, this was an incredible show, but I think I got something a little extra out of it. A concert experience that I'll never have again. And you never know when those things are going to come up. But there's the power of music that ties into it all. That guy was there that night as a Dylan fan, possibly a lifelong fan. And just just honestly, just to get a, just as a distraction. Escape. Yeah. Sure. Anyway, it was just a. Wow. Crazy. So, I mean, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to turn this show into a positive thing uh, shortly but that's kind of a, just a heavy thing to get into well, right off the bat it's a heavy <laughs> thing but i appreciate it. but and i i think there is a bright there is a a bright side to that story absolutely or or it's just um 
you know, uh, I, I, you handled it with all the humanity you could have there. And I, I think you did the man a favor. That's, that's a beautiful story. Yeah. I just, what I love about it, the, 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 the denominator there, music and life, it's, they're just intertwined. It's beautiful. Wow. So now, uh, I'm assuming Bob Dylan's in the, uh, rock and roll hall of fame. I think so. Uh, now last year we, we, we did this and I'm assuming it'll be just a regular, an annual feature. Yeah. So we've got the list of, uh, of nominees for the, for 2020. And uh, my iPad just went blank. Oh wait, no, here it comes back. So my, my paper just went blank. We're gonna do. We're gonna run through these now again. My criteria. Yeah, let's revisit that because that was something. <laughs> the, that was something last year that you sort of uh, enlightened me to because I kind of went on it uh, as a, a fanboy kind of thing. Like, oh, I love them. I want them in. But your rationale, which uh, I wish I would have had that in advance, I would have probably followed it better because you were like you were more logical about this well, and, explain and, and, well well again I, I can't remember uh what the rules of what the how the the rock and hall of fame itself described or you, well you uh, to be eligible yes. an individual oh, an individual artist or band must have released its first commercial recording at least 25 years prior of the year of nomination um and then it talks here about the the, the public will have a chance to vote and then uh, there are the uh, inductees that also get like a, a vote as well. Is that right? People that are part of the I don't know Hall of Fame. I, 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 yeah, I'm, I've lost track now of who who's there. Quality. There is a fan ballot though, uh, right? They, which is what I did. That is what did I did last one? year. No, I did on our show. I did oh, the fan did. ballot. <laughs> like I wanted John Prine in because I love John Prine yeah, so much. Yeah. Well, yes, but I he, love John Prine too. But as you said back then, like, but yeah, my criteria, songwriter my, Hall of Fame for sure, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Can, can you can you rationalize it? Okay, so so the way I think of it though is if you're a na- nominee and your name comes up, I um, the question I ask myself is, can I imagine rock and roll without you? Did you did you did you did you affect it in the timeline in such a way that you cannot be ignored? And so. And that does not mean that you didn't have huge hits. It doesn't mean that you're an extreme talent. It right. doesn't mean it's all. It's just it's a matter of did you things were going along, and you were a ripple in the timeline somehow that 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 affected it. Now, even by my criteria, any of my choices can be easily easily argue against me by all means. And I that's I love it. And, and people write in yeah. as much as you can because I we love the exchanges. We really 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 do. But that's just the way. I wrap my head around it. Now, before we start, and this year, of course, this thing increases as the years go by, is we, and then I, because I use the phrase rock and roll, we can easily lull ourselves into the discussion of whether, for instance, the notorious B.I.G. Yeah. Clearly, by all normal markers, not a rock and roll artist yeah. in, in music, but um, for the sake of the museum, for the sake of the, the, the Hall of Fame, whatever that is, uh, as an entity, mm-hmm. they're going to have to. Um, not stick to this rock and roll criteria. And that criteria would have to be, you know, I don't know, something that was based on 12-bar blues and country and had certain... I mean, you, you would have to have now these really hard musical factors. You're going to have to do away with that because whether we like it or not, I don't. I think it's it's safe to assume that we're you're going to completely run out of rock and roll artists. Yeah. And at maybe even by... The 2020 list of nominees is probably proof that uh, of such mm. lack of. Um, Do you think there always needs to be a uh, like a nostalgic pick, like from a certain era? Because you know they do reach back. There's some in here that go back to the 60s. 
uh, Some to answer your from question, the 80s and 90s. to answer your question, no. Uh, first, let's go back. Now, let's have we. I don't know if we've done this, but when let's look at the word nostalgia, which I believe this is off the top of my head, but okay. I'm sure I looked at this at some point. Uh, the it's an, it, we, the ancient Greeks gives us this word, and it, it, the it was actually somewhat of an illness. It was something from which you suffered. Because there was a sense of wistfulness and melancholy. You missed something. So it was it was a condition, nostalgia. Yeah. Only very recently, within the past few decades, and I'm assuming Madison Avenue has a lot to do with this, did we start treating nostalgia as a fun thing. Happy days. Yeah. And it became commodified. And all of a sudden, people are... are all of a sudden, there's a business in selling you nostalgia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's the great joke about, well, when were the greatest movies and records made? And the answer to anybody being asked is when I was between the age of 16 and 20. Right, right. <laughs> so, so um, one man's nostalgia is another yeah. woman's... And it's going to completely shift. Right. Going forward. Correct. So I know what you mean. They're kind of reaching back. But, you know... I don't think the Hall of Fame owes artists from the 60s and 70s anything. They're loaded as it is right now. Yeah. Um, and then when we say rock and roll, I think what we're, we're going to have to talk about is, is some sort of pop culture music. It's good. That, that term's going to have to mean something else. Um, so I'm um, so enough of me blathering on. So we've got, we've got a list of nominees. Now, right. these are not the inductees. No. These are the people from, from which we, we, we will choose. Some of these were on the list last year. Yeah, I thought so. I, yes, you're right. Yeah, you noticed. So what are we going to do? We're going to do the uh, A and B, yes or no, or yeah. do they get? Did they change? Yeah, rock and roll. Well, no, that's my criteria. Yeah. Go, no, I like it. Look, I'm a fan of. Look, I, I want to be in your boat. Fine. Wanna... <laughs> All right, Pat Benatar. I like Pat and Neil, and uh, I think no. But if you were to like argue that, well, they sort of brought the husband wife rock team to the foreground and maybe influenced others to do that. I don't know if that's as an important a, a subject, but it's something that I first Funny noticed with them. Well, with the exception of like signing chair. Funny you brought that up because for, for the past several years, I've been wildly bothered by this Neil Geraldo, Geraldo yeah, thing. Yeah. So notice by the way here, the, on the list of nominees, it says Pat Benatar, not uh, Pat Benatar and now look, True, but was he on all those early? Yes, records? he okay. is. But it just seemed like one day I woke up. One day I woke up. I don't know if it was in the mid '90s or the late '90s. I don't know when this started. Mm-hmm. But there was no longer Pat Benatar. There was only Pat Benatar. Oh, it became the duo. Yeah. To the point where even if she made a cameo on a television show, it had to be the two of them. And the, and the advertisements in the casino, it had to be the two of them. And I just don't know that anybody would refuse to buy a ticket because. It's not the original guitar player producer guy on stage. And I don't, I, I'm not really sure I see how and his I, name is the, a big big enough selling point to put him on the marquee. This is my her. point. Yeah. And so the, it, it seems like a, a oddly aggressive move. Yeah. I, I don't know why it bothers me, but it does. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if there's, there's no, no take, need for it. There's no need for it. No. Um, <laughs> uh, I say no. Again, of course, they're big hit records, but yeah. kind of, it was, you know, it just... Yeah. All right, Dave Matthews Band. Dave Matthews Band, uh, tough one. I do like some certain Dave Matthews stuff, some some non-commercial Dave Matthews stuff too. Um, he's wildly successful with his fan base, and he's still respected in the jam band community. Yeah. Um, but I don't think he changed anything. He might have given some legs to the jam 
jam he, band. I bass. think he certainly did. Yeah. So if but uh, between him and Fish, they right. kind of elevate and String Cheese Incident. I mean, mm-hmm. some of those bands have carried that torch, but I don't know if that changed anything because jam bands were already happening back in the 60s so that wasn't anything new it was just kind of keeping it going um am i gonna have to how many do how many get in is it six or eight oh gosh because now if i have to like make my list based on i have to have so many in then i gotta start making some decisions early on here five (laughs) it's five it's five five. can i pick five here okay um so Dave Matthews band. It's Dave Matthews band, not Correct. just Dave Matthews. That's right. Dave Matthews band. Um God, they had a great great saxophone player too. Um I don't I God, I don't know. Um I'm leaning towards no. But like I said, his influence on because there's that like mid late nineties um jam band thing, like the Horde Festivals and sure. that was that was that kind of came back out of nowhere cause, Yeah. Blues Traveler was... Blues Traveler, definitely, yeah. yeah. So, I, I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence, and I do like them. So we I'm, get five. Five a year. Yeah. I see a couple for sure on the list. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to... I'll push Dave Matthews Band room. through. Oh, you... Okay, I'll push them okay, through. Okay, fine. Okay, I say no. Um, Depeche Mode. Now, that's interesting that this band is on here, along with another band that I kind of place in similar category i think yeah i think i know what you mean um and they're both uh, of course wildly popular um and they represent a certain style Mm. very very well um depeche mode was a band that really evolved though you got to see them change from very very basic pop songs that were very catchy yeah my high school years that was Uh, radio friendly right after I got out of high school, I was starting to hear more about this band and their changes. And I thought, oh, where did you hear them when you were in high school? Was it K Rock who played them? K Rock. K Rock. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. And stuff like Just Can't Get Enough, mm-hmm. things like that that are, you know, like bouncy, poppy. Yep. And I uh, loved all that. It's very accessible. But then by uh, by the, the early 90s, um, you know, I had a buddy that was stationed in Japan and he and I would send cassettes to each other. Uh, instead of write letters and stuff. And so we would like tell stories about what's going on with our lives and, and I'll drop some music on these tapes. And so I'd hear what he was listening to and he was sending me stuff off of like the Violator album and mm-hmm. you know albums that I wasn't hearing on the radio at all because by that point, the Pesh Mode wasn't as radio friendly. They were still getting some airplay, but I mean, it wasn't like you in the 80s you would get, you'd hear stuff like uh, Just Can't Get Enough maybe on Kiss FM or some of these other like more straightforward pop over. stations. But um, the alternative stations were pretty much where they found their home later sure. on. Um, and I just didn't find it as accessible to me because I think my mind was still just looking for the easy melody mm. that, you know, this makes me bounce. Yeah. But um, but I saw that evolution already start early on. And I think they carried a lot of and maybe they picked up a huge, huge fan base because of that. And then I think that eventually led into one of the other uh nominees this year too and how successful they became but but depeche mode um i'm gonna say they get in um just because of that that very visible evolution they were changing i don't know if they were trying to change the uh the music world that they were in but i noticed that the steps they were making were the forward steps that the genre was kind of taking in that alt, alt rock world good argument i say no <laughs> 
The Doobie Brothers. <laughs> I mean, I, I have no. I just, I just say no. I just <laughs> look. Not that they're a bad band. I think, I think, I think their their music got deeper. Therefore, their fan base got deeper. Yeah. Is what you're referring to. Yeah. and that's wonderful. But I think regarding the and and you make a really good argument though about how to follow their career might might mean to also follow what would be deemed techno pop or whatever. However, yeah. we're gonna classify that uh yeah it also does follow suit but i think it it i think what you're alluding to and it, it, it but it it culminates in another band it sets up the success of another band and i yeah. think i think that's a more significant moment yeah so uh so the doobie brothers what do you, what do you say uh to be or not to be oh. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah yes 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 to be um, or not to be, indeed. You know what? I I, I like them, but I don't. I, I think they're. I, and I, I don't. I don't mean it in a uh, demeaning way, but they're mm-hmm. they're like cookie cutter '70s rock that kind of fit a mold that a lot of bands were fitting at the time, and I don't think they stand out enough from those yeah. to have made a difference. I agree with the. And, and I like some of those, you know, those Tom, that Tom Johnson era. Mm. And then it, there's that weird oh, thing great that happens. Stuff. Don't and get then me there's wrong. just that hard pivot when Michael McDonald takes over. There's that. And you're like, I just. Wait, so who gets in here? Well, I think it's the whole, both. It's anybody that's. Both halves. Anybody that's got a name badge. Yeah. I mean, Let's there's just. The shift. Well, it's sort of like when Fleetwood <laughs> Mac gets in. I was like, I don't know. Did, Peter like, Green the, get did in? the Peter Green people, like, did, did you know. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Obviously, huge hits, all that. I think there, there's going to be a, a, a large faction that are going to credit them with the yacht rock thing and think they they should be in yeah. because of that. That's not that means nothing <laughs> well, to me. So yeah, but you know, yacht rock is there's a, channels on satellite radio for that stuff. So no, does I'm not that, saying it doesn't exist. I'm just saying it doesn't it doesn't bear any weight to me. Did they somehow create a yacht rock genre like uh, decades in advance? <laughs> like to be discovered no, later. <laughs> no, that's a matter of nostalgia. That's a great. That's yeah. that's a true idea of the illness of nostalgia is yacht rock. It's so you know, and I think it's people just sort of like, well, yeah, that's, I, I I don't know. I just I don't really understand the. I mean, it's all iron. It's all irony, and uh, and I just I just kind of just don't buy into the the full irony of the whole thing. So, and not to say that it doesn't fill the Hollywood bowl and, and there's not stations. Right, I, there's I, money. There's money in it. Yeah, there's it's been commodified. So. Uh, next is Whitney Houston. No, yeah, I I say no again. This doesn't mean that she's one of the most <laughs> impeccable voices great of voice. a generation. Great, great voice. Um, but um, I don't know. I, I just I don't know. I, not that her some of her music didn't move me emotionally, but that's no. not my criteria. And the Bodyguard film was great and everything, and and, and I I think that probably got nominations or something too, or she did. But um, I, I I can't bring any evidence to the table that um, she needs to be in the Rock and Roll yeah. Hall of Fame right. for making a difference. But right. great voice, right? I will always love you, Whitney. <laughs> so uh, so next is Judas Priest. Okay. Um, this is this is tough. I agree that this is tough. I'm going to say no. I, I do enjoy Judas Priest. Um, if it brought more leather and metal studs to the uh, fashion of of rock music, or you know, like a stylized impact, yeah, maybe. Great, great voice again. Yeah. You know, um, but I don't know if between. I mean, 
I kind of put him in the category, or uh, uh, Halford in the category of like you know Ronnie James Dio as well. I mean, very talented vocalists of that period in in the metal world, but I don't know if he they really changed a lot. I, I again I say more stylistically, right. um, fashion wise and image wise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then, uh, and then retroactively going back and. Now, I mean, it's like you can't get the toothpaste back in the tube. Knowing <laughs> knowing that Rob is gay, well, yeah. and and you think, oh, all that leather. Yeah. <laughs> how could I? Have, how could I have missed it? You know, how, you know. But uh, there was a barrage of jokes that were released on that day. <laughs> yeah, but and then now in 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 2019, 2020, you yeah. look back and think like, oh, that was. Um, of course, just, it doesn't seem scandalous at all. Right. I well, mean, there's yeah. also the part where there's no normalization. We're under a different microscope saying, now. Right. Um, this is a great band. And yeah. I actually, I say yes yeah. to Judas Priest. Now, mainly because, as I remember it, and I was awfully young at the time, but but this is one of the few heavy metal bands that had um, uh, regular uh, MTV rotation. They were played yeah. in this. Yeah. Also, and then I remember their records kind of crossing over pretty well, and they just, just it wasn't like they had heavy metal stations, but they made records that, that reined in the heaviness just enough to where there's enough of a hook. Mm. Um, and I think they definitely were a massive influence on Def Leppard. I think Def Leppard yeah, certainly learned I hear that too. Yeah. how to yeah. like pull it back just a bit to help the sales, uh, which is to say it helps the crossover. I think so. I actually I do put Judas Priest in there because I don't put Def Leppard in. Mm. If you remember from my right, my yeah, argument yeah. is like Judas Priest does go in, yeah. um, because I think they did. They were they were the ones who kind of really, I, I think I think they just did it first and, and they did a little better. Craftwork. Um, we talked about this last year. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I still haven't jumped in that pond yet with them. I mean, I don't have that exposure. I don't have it in my blood. I know you had a lot more to say about it. You mm-hmm. you were more aware and, and involved. So I really can't present the argument with any sizable knowledge well, nothing would change from last year to this year on that one either yeah because i didn't i didn't uh i didn't put much on right <laughs> since well of course i say yes because for all the same reasons i said last yeah. year you can listen to that do you want me to grab just... that and splice it <laughs> no it's no 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 um yeah go go find the hall monitors episode have, from uh, have, last year that's right have mercy on our audience <laughs> um yeah absolutely again this is a band that uh what they did with 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 synthesizers and the just the sheer sound of those records and the influence it had on on people on record producers immediately afterwards and this really does change how music sounds particularly by the time we get into the 80s it took it took a while for the stuff to kind of catch on but but i mean even even the clash had to answer for it in some you know in, yeah, in yeah. so many levels through uh uh, Rick Rubin and and uh, and Arthur Baker and his remixes of right. a lot of stuff and the, so and uh, Africa Black Lambada and it just goes on and on and on but it start I just it's it clearly it clearly starts with Kraftwerk now this is tricky though because people if they're not familiar with Kraftwerk you'll they'll say okay what's this guy going on about and they'll, they'll listen to Autobot they'll listen to any of the Kraftwerk stuff and they're like what is this it doesn't sound exactly like what 80s music was going to sound right. like but i'm just saying without it it couldn't have got there so um and then uh, same thing uh, here's another repeat from last year mc5 yes well now I, how did you vote last year i voted yes oh, last okay, year okay. they didn't get my vote because they're still not in yet <laughs> must have got <laughs> lost, lost in the ballot. mail <laughs> yeah. so i said yes i even went MC5. to detroit this year trying to like you know rally for yeah this. you did you so. went to the 
hopefully the ballroom that, hopefully and that pushes them over the line. Uh, that but must I, have been that did it. I say yes. Yeah, I say yes. Absolutely. Um, uh, Motorhead. Yes, I love Motorhead. I love that the the, the bassist is the front man, and uh, <laughs> and he's able to carry that band with such a rough voice. Yeah. Um, the the music was great. I I don't know what I can really bring to the table that just can completely convince you that they need to be in, but I just think they're great, and I think that they they uh, I think that they should go in. I, so do I. <laughs> That's all so I do I. No, I so do I. And more, part of the thing of Motorhead is is uh, they always seem to have brought up the uh, is it punk is it metal that wonderful debate which I remember the the early Metallica records also demanded that question and it was wonderful to see that stuff sort of get dissolved um, but yeah pretty much a lot of the reasons you mentioned I think uh, the those weren't really reasons those were just feelings I think no, no, but, <laughs> but I just think that the, that in some way that again if 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 you know people kind of came back from the future and so because of this rock and roll thing what exactly i i like motorhead being there in that timeline i, I have no yeah. I, but but and i love that 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 stuff got faster that it got harder that that they they show how and you know lemmy was just like a hendrix fan i mean they, yeah. but 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 they they pushed they just kept pushing things to another extreme and um uh, and Ace of Spades just sounds. I mean, you put it on, it's it just it feels like yes, it feels like something is happening. Uh, Did so, you see the Lemmy movie by chance? No. Oh, you should check that out. No. That's fantastic. Maybe many, many, many lovely run-ins with Lemmy over the years. Really? You never forget the smell of that man. Oh wow. Oh yeah. Uh, okay, at Nine Inch Nails. Yes. Uh, this is the obviously the one you probably thought I was yep. referring to with the Depeche Mode chat. Um, yeah, that's like this. I mean, it's Trent Reznor, and I don't know about the rest of the band so much, like name-wise. So I don't know if Nine Inch Nails is pretty much Trent Reznor's <laughs> whole so. yeah. brainchild. Yeah. But uh, he just mixed it all up and brought something to the foreground that so many people latched onto, and nobody else was really doing it so much. But this was kind of the wave that uh, Depeche Mode ended up um, writing as well. But Nine Inch Nails did it. Uh, far more successful, I believe, and um, there's, I've seen them live before, and their live show is is something else too, mm -hmm. uh, visually and and sonically. Um, it's just something I don't hear anywhere else. Well, so this is why I say yes. Um, this was the last time that just sheer nihilism was going to be that popular chart wise. You have to go back on a weird comparison, maybe the dark side of the moon album. Like to me, it's just really incredible that that album had had and has the legs it does considering just how dark it is. You know, just yeah. it's a it's 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 view of life. It's just so it's just so nihilistic. Mm. And and I think and I guess I'm really mostly responding to downward spiral that was such a success and that's what 1994 yeah um we will i don't know that we'll ever see nihilism be that popular again in music i just i don't know if nihilism will have that voice like that 
Yeah. It'll it'll there's happen elements. Again. I mean, I, I there's a anyway maybe I it'll don't know. happen again. It'll be a different voice, but I mean, okay. as long as it exists. Um, so you'll so see it part of up. that is just very significant, and and it and it, and it it credit to Trent to yes to 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 be just a little ahead of the game sonically, mm-hmm. visually, obviously with the not just certainly the concerts and the videos. It um it was really no holds barred, and. That's part of really the spirit of rock and roll in a really, really, really big way. And uh, it was just, uh, I don't know, I just, I, I really can't, again, I, it's really hard to imagine the, the decade without Downward Spiral specifically. And, yeah. go ahead, sorry. Well, I, I mean, there's a lot of dark happening in the 90s. I mean, that was part of the theme of grunge as well. Uh, but you had bands like Smashing Pumpkins that were putting a lot of dark material out there. But, but you... You pull that whiny voice away from Smashing Pumpkins. Okay, yeah, and, and it's, it's a it's a rock band, and and it's a rock band. But I mean, Trent didn't have that whine. Trent had a very aggressive attack, yeah, on his vocals, and and, and by the way, his uh, score work as well. Like, uh, uh, well, now his, yeah, with Social Network and that and those things. Well, even back in uh, the film Seven, oh uh, yeah, that's he right, did that as well. And and those visual, I mean, something about hearing that music in those end credits with those visuals in the credits. Well, I think he embraced yeah that. He knew it's how to make extremely image. evocative music, yeah. no problem. Uh, but also at that, but in those first couple of records, that he clearly he his respect for song structure and where to place things, or how to or just think of how you're going to deliver um, hurt. Let's say, okay, I want I want to write a song that says this. Hmm. Not as easy as I mean, you you've got to be very careful with it's it's like directing a horror movie. It's mm-hmm. like, well, when do I reveal this, and and when is when is too much too soon? And he places things so well, um, and uh, and I think that uh, we can talk about the bands that were influenced, the artists that were influenced afterwards. But but I almost. I don't know. I just think it's just such a it's just this big atom bomb right there. And yes, going on in the country, by the way, the nihilism was well received. Unfortunately, we, it was the beginning of um, uh, the Oklahoma City bombings, the Branch Davidians. We were seeing, you know, we were just kind of seeing these, uh, and then in the L.A. riots, and we were just there was these yeah. massive uprisings and 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 kind of these these social explosions that would spill out on TV and. Uh, it just there was in uh, was that the same year as the OJ chase? I don't know. It just seems like it it captures also it just, it just captures this the soundtrack this new malaise that America was yeah. And then unfortunately, we, you know, as world events turned in two thousand one, um, it it sort of it also just kind of said this is our it's going to be our new normal, and we now say that term all the time now right. with each tragedy the new normal or, mm. or so. And somehow I just think that this album, I'm sorry, I keep going. I know they made other music, but Downward Spiral just, it's just, that's the moment. Um, next up, The Notorious B.I.G. I'm not feeling it. You know what's funny is for a long, I, I was, I was. And because, again, I'm the advocate that this this whole thing has to embrace hip hop. It's ridiculous if it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, hip hop has been, for the better part of a couple of decades was that was the predominant mover in culture and in terms of fashion, in terms of records, in terms of, it's just so well, culture, I mean, just culture. And, um, to pretend it, 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 that it, it has not been that, or 
it's just that's just silly. That's just head in the sand thinking. And if the Hall of Fame is going to have a life, it's going to have to answer to this these few decades where Rock took a back seat. Yeah. Just admit it. Mm-hmm. But I just don't think Notorious B.I.G.'s my, he's just not my guy. Not compared to Tupac. For the, for not the compared, genre, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, I just, there's yeah. so many others that I would put before him. And so basically, based on that, um, the sample size, not that big either, really. Uh, no pun intended. There's just, you know, I mean, he made a lot of music, but not as much as. Yeah. Um, so I say no, but not, not, it's not a hip hop isn't rock argument. Yeah. That's not why. Uh, and I just kind of well, they, they eventually became infused. So I mean, yeah, you can't really separate it. And say, no, well, that doesn't no, no. Belong. Um, uh, Rufus featuring Shaka Khan. Yeah, I just don't. No. Not enough there. No. Not enough there. Maybe Rufus. <laughs> uh, Todd Rundgren. Uh, we talked about this one last year. Um, I don't. I don't think so right now. Unfortunately, it may come down to like oh, they're running out of certain names to put through on the list and then I will say yes to Todd Rundgren it's compared possible. to the you know the context of possible. the nominees yeah. but I, I know uh, his production outweighs his uh, his personal uh, the music personal output, output. I think. yeah in a way yeah it, like I said I think I said last year same thing it's like god there's kind of this other category of I don't, you know, they have, well, you know, I think, don't they have like a one hit wonder category or, or I know Lil Steven's been advocating for that, which I, I agree there, because that's also a big part of rock and roll history. It's not, it, it, there's no rule that says, well, you had to have sustained a career for 30 years and been massive because that's not rock, rock and roll wasn't really built on that. Um, that just kind of was made up as it went along in a way, you know, of the stones and all those acts that we go back when they were in the twenties, they didn't think they'd be doing it forever. Right. Um, although if they were going to emulate their, their blues and country idols, yes, you would have. Yes. You'd be doing this absolutely in right. old age. Um, uh, but yeah, like one hit wonder bands, like absolutely. Again, that's like a huge part of rock history and, and pop culture is just like this, you know, just this one big hit, and it made a splash, and and it and it had a had a moment of influence, and then just didn't do it again. But um, rock is made up of that. Uh, not that Todd's a, a one hit wonder. I'm just saying, but he's also kind of this background character that that he influenced and, and was on and responsible for right, a lot of really right. great music. But as a singular guy, I don't know. It's, a, it's a, I, I agree with you. At some point, he will be. I just you know, I'm not so sure. Like he and Alan Parsons. I mean, there's a bunch of guys that kind of fit that. Uh, Categorization yeah, where they've start to been involved in a lot of important engineers things, but, and but their name doesn't. There's A and R guys, but, but there's a category. I mean, they do have A and R men and record executives that go yeah. in that did have huge influence. And I feel like Todd's a little more there. Not that he can't play and so sing or write. Do, but do you think there should be like a guilty pleasure category every year? <laughs> I yes, in everything. <laughs> uh, Soundgarden. Soundgarden. Um, no, I like Soundgarden. I like I like Chris Cornell. Um, I just kind of, I don't know if it's because of the timing of it, but I, I don't want him to be on the list yeah, because it's yeah, just, know. oh, we miss him. I know. You know, what's funny is uh, when I was in Boston in the fall of 1991, uh, that September specifically, uh, early, early September, when you went just album shopping, just walking down the street and album stores had their windows open, there was when you walked in and um, Soundgarden was blare. That record was everywhere. And at that moment, I would have told, and it was great because yeah, it felt Zeppelin-y, but it clearly wasn't, you know, no offense, but it wasn't like the White Snake take on right, it. Yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah. hairband version yeah. of Zeppelin. It just felt it had a little, it was a little greasier. They had a nice cover version of, uh, of 
what was it? Uh, they did Earache My Eye, I think, on a B-side of a single. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and I think they even did like a Spinal Tap. Maybe they did a version of Big Bottom. I thought they were... So they did had they a, really? Yeah, they had a good sense of humor as well. That's great. But yeah, a solid band and, uh, and a marvelous singer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, and they're... <laughs> It, you can't extract them from the how big they were to the grunge movement and how grunge pivots rock and roll and that's all well I'm just it just feels like and I'm not an expert on grunge and that whole thing because I didn't I didn't really participate in a big way at the time but it, mm. it I do feel as though they almost come in it's not fair chronologically I don't think because I think they they, they predated these other two bands in, in a big way but especially commercially but but they take a third place to um to Nirvana and and Pearl Jam, um, so yeah. But at that time, uh, when uh, but but when yeah, when Bad Motorfinger came out, I assumed that was just going to be the band that was going to represent that whole thing. And I'm not really clear on what and was Nevermind comes out a month later. How much later? I mean, with, it gone. just seems like one day. <clears throat> This other thing happened. Yeah, it's like uh, yeah, I'm the yeah. And uh, but but I will never get over that that fall of '91 and what how how that album sounded in the record stores yeah. in Boston. It it felt like something was certainly happening, and something was happening. But it just it seemed to be like a little uh, pre tremor to the earthquake that ended up being sounds like Team Spirit. What do you think about that uh, that one hit wonder of Temple of the Dog? That, that, I only know that one song. If that album was just that one song, <laughs> I, putting it on the wall. Yeah, um, beautiful. So, so, and uh, my beloved T Rex. How many do we get to put in? Five. I'm already tapped out. I've already got my my five were all right in a row. It turns out because uh, I'm repeating from last year. Unfortunately, I think I. Yeah, I'm tapped out too. I yeah. put my five in, but T Rex was on the bubble. On the bubble, just, he, but that's an. Um, I'm just such a fan of those records, and it's it's a it's a. They're they're definitely like yeah they're great songs great records but uh, the influence on uh, later glam style bands right placebo bands like that. oh oh yeah yeah cool um yeah it's so I mean they're 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 carrying it forward um, I I just feel as though Bowie and Roxy Music kind of cover as inductees that i think they cover that thing yeah just fine and that means i have to exclude lord knows i adore Mott the hoople lord no you know what i mean on like tour gonna, now right are they oh wow good yeah. for them good last for them. chance um i i just you know I, t-rex incredibly cool and also yeah. a kind of cool thing that when you go back and, and like a lot of the songs like the, this is kind of like basic little boogie stuff now yeah. here's a, <laughs> you know for a while now, we've been uh, Dwight has been opening our, our concerts with Chuck Berry's Little Queenie, mm -hmm. and uh, oh, do you throw a little bit of? Uh... Well, okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> Pretty early on, when when Dwight threw it in the set, he sings a line in the second verse, and there's a little gap there where clearly guitar lick should go. Mm -hmm. And I had for no, I had no, without thinking, did this. That's the lick, right? And I didn't think about it at all. And then it was months, if not a year later, that I realized that I think I may have subconsciously done that because at the end of Bang a Gong, yeah. on the fade out, Mark Boland sings, Meanwhile, I was still thinking. Uh, Which is for Little Queenie. You connected it subconsciously. I, I maybe. <laughs> 
Maybe, yeah. So, um, uh, I don't know why I just decided that to, to to mention that, but no, that's awesome. But that's a great. <laughs> was, so when you're out, I laugh to myself. Year. Yeah, when I play that lick, I, I, there's a, there's like an internal giggle, like, oh, that's that's why I, I kind of it's very meta, isn't it? Where where Bolin was basically just writing like Chuck Berry rockers, very very simple stuff, but they were dressed oh. up, of course, with the Visconti strings and you and you know and just a couple little alien references and space yeah. age this and stuff and it felt like a completely new thing but they're really just really good shuffles and boogies yeah and um you know but bowie did that too Mott the hoople's musical structure was also just very very basic rock and roll but it was in platform heels and glitter and that was what was exciting um but yeah uh yeah t-rex uh i think i think that their position and what they represent in the in in the and how they managed to change things around. I think other inductees kind of cover that mm. already for me. Um, and so, and then last, uh, but not least, boy, this one's tough for me. Yeah. Thin Lizzy. Yeah. I like Thin Lizzy. I don't know if enough was changed because of them. Right. Yeah. I'm going to say no, but with great love. Yeah. I, this is, I say no, but I think on any other year I want to make, you know, I mean, you've got um, one of the few interracial rock bands which is important, hmm. it, it, which is significant. Um, here's something I learned years ago. Uh, I think I, I may have mentioned this on the show before, but when we did that Eric Church tour about five years ago, the pre-show music that was playing in the arenas, um, I'd, I'd finish dinner and I would just, and I'd, I'd make myself an espresso or something like that. And I would just, I would kind of mosey around the arena as the people were just filing in. I loved that energy. Hmm. There was a look is the sun setting usually around that time and the way the sun comes into these arenas and it just, there's this dusk going on and not, the people aren't really loud. They're just kind of milling in, but right. there's an excitement they're anticipating. Mm -hmm. and, and it's hours before Eric's going to hit stage, but it, there's something, and I think it reaches back to my very first concert and just sitting and kind of where I don't know what's going on here. There's just this little din in this big room. Yes. And uh, the music that was playing overhead, I, it was the same, same music every night. Mm turns out i can listen to stay with me by the faces and the boys are back in town by thin lizzie every day and never get tired of that that's great they're perfect i and and so the boys are back in town rolls it's it, it, the joke it's probably one of the best springsteen songs that springsteen had no role in whatsoever um <laughs> You know, and uh, and I love you know, whiskey jars, tremendous uh, yeah. jailbreak, as I mentioned. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, flawed lyric. Tonight, there's going to be a jailbreak somewhere in this town. Probably near the actual <laughs> jail, there, Phil. I don't know; it's not really a mystery. Um, well, for those that are visiting, they may not know where that is. <laughs> Excuse me, I heard there's going to be jailbreak. Can you please help me locate Can you that? Direct me to That's the right. jail, please. Um. But uh, no, they don't get in. Uh, not not quite. Again, I th I don't think that anything uh, um, pivotal happens there. Yeah. But uh, but it is a unique story. Certainly, uh, of course, it ends rather tragically right, with, with Phil. But but and I love you know the, of course I'm um, you know those guitars, mm -hmm. those harmony guitars, yeah, yeah. The, the role that those played. But uh, it's not enough to push them over. So that's that's it, everybody. Those yeah. are the possible inductees. What, oh, what's your God. six? Uh, uh, no, I have five. Five. What's your five? My five Sorry. were, um, let's see here, Judas Priest, Kraftwerk, MC5, Motorhead, Nine Inch Nails. All right, I've got uh, Dave Matthews Band, mm -hmm. Depeche Mode, MC5, Motorhead, Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, through January 10th, fans can go to Google, search Vote Rock Hall 2020, um, or any nominee name, plus vote, and uh, you can go and cast a ballot with Google. Um, you're also able to vote at rockhall.com or at the museum in Cleveland. Top five artists, there it is, top five artists selected by the public um, will comprise a <laughs> fans ballot that will be tallied along with the other ballots to choose the 2020 inductees. And um, that will take place May 2nd. So I'm going to assume that uh, by in January, we'll probably get the list of the yeah, inductees. Yeah, I think that's how that works. Now, again, I can anticipate that my votes are going to be complete opposite of what the fans yeah, vote, because cool. that's been the story of my life. But It's kind of like my fantasy football team. Oh, <laughs> yeah, but your Steelers are kind of making a little push all of they're a sudden. They're in the number seven seed right now. They're on the, <laughs> no, I mean, they're on think, the bubble. Think, they're like Thin Lizzy. Oh, uh, so... Yeah. Uh, let's hear uh, a record. What do you We've want to play? We've been talking a lot. We got a few sitting around. Well, let's let's. I want to hear. Can we hear something from Juliana Hatfield and then talk about it? Yeah. Okay.
That song you just heard is by an artist named Julian Hetfield. The song is called... It's So Weird. From the album that's called... Weird. On American Laundromat Records. Thank you, Julian. (laughs) cleared that up. Yeah. All right. So now... um, That came out earlier this year. That's right. So she has a, a, a new album that's... That has it been released? It's yet? dropping November fifteenth. So, so by what? the time this episode's out, it's Maybe. about ready to fly. Okay, and it's a cover of Police Tunes. Yeah, this is her second all covers record that she's done in the last year. Mm-hmm. The previous one was uh, a tribute album to Olivia Newton-John, and uh, this one is by it's all songs by the Police. Mm-hmm. Uh, her interpretations of those, and uh, you've had a chance to listen to some of yes. it. Yes, and I had a chance to listen through it, and I actually. Uh, had a chance to sit down on a phone call with Juliana recently and talk about it. And uh, I don't think she's necessarily redefining these songs, but I think you're, no. getting, you're getting Juliana Hatfield versions of police songs through osmosis because she grew up with this music. Right. And that sits in your system as you're growing older. Hard to remember that for the better part of five years, the police were inescapable oh, yeah. on the radio. Yeah. Um, it's five albums, right? Five albums total, those That's guys. It, yeah. That's it. And the fact that they ended up breaking, uh, particularly in, in America, as part of a new wave punk, it's like, we don't even remember that anymore. I mean, it's hard to even imagine. And there was the controversy that they may have been just posers that, you know, they just kind of looked and acted the part so they could get a leg in. But frankly, Elvis Costello said he did the same thing. I think Joe yeah. Jackson did the same thing. I think Graham Parker, I think these guys were all capable of writing any type they right. would go on to write all. You the look at what they music. did later. You look yeah. at Sting's career later. Yes. So um, the police. Now, for instance, uh, on the record, she does uh, one of my favorite police songs, which I don't think was ever it was certainly wasn't released as a single. No. The police version was not released as a single in America. Um, incredibly catchy song. Great lyric. Um, it, just a absolute favorite of mine. I was happy that she did it. Not only did she do it, but she pretty much does like a, kind of a note-for-note version of it. Yeah. So not only do you think she changes the key, her voice suits, you know, stings somewhat of a, a tenor. And so she sings these tunes quite comfortably because it doesn't really stretch her range. She doesn't move around a whole lot because Sting kind of sings higher in the register. And uh, the grooves are great. Uh, I don't know the personnel on the album, and I don't know if that came up in the interview, but yeah, she worked with um, some local Boston guys cool. um, that she works with in the studio kind of on a regular basis. But mm-hmm. she went back and uh, redid some of the bass and I believe drums herself because she wanted to do more on the record. And she she noted that pretty much playing playing along with those records to kind of rehearse for this album, yeah. she found it to be so much fun to play those bass lines that Sting was playing. And so she wanted to make sure she got some of hers in on the record along okay. with some of the guys that played too. But yeah, you mentioned the the, the almost note for note thing. I mean, that's not necessarily on every song, but she did tell me that uh, in the song Hungry For You, which is, uh, it's got, it's it's sung almost Just, entirely in French. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And so she was telling me that, because uh, I asked her, I said, was that, is that a difficult thing for you to be able to do or were you just trying to, mimic the record but she actually uh, studied some french and she actually sang a couple french songs before so it was somewhat familiar to gotcha. her but when she was singing it she told me that basically sting wasn't singing perfect french on every word <laughs> she called it uh i think it was something like englishific um <laughs> uh, french uh-huh. um and so she made sure that when she was doing her version of it she did the same mispronunciations that Sting did oh. on the original version. So she kept it true to Sting's version, which she felt was the spirit of the song. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, the, I mean, just it's if you love Julianne Hatfield um, and you're not familiar with the police, you're going to still get a fantastic Juliana record. She's just got such a great, comfortable, warm hug sound. Yes. And uh, and, and the selections, I mean, she was telling me that a lot of these songs are still completely relevant today, especially yeah. with the political um, environment that we're living mm-hmm. in, too. Um, she does some of the hits. She does uh, Roxanne, Every Breath You Take. Can't Say I'm Losing You sounds great. I, I think it might. Is that the opening cut? Maybe. Oh, yeah. I don't remember the order. Yeah. But that sounds great. And again, you know, it's a, it's a suicide songs. Right. It's cla- you know, rock and roll, rock and roll death songs. Um, but now it's funny because now I, it, that song feels a little different to me now. And of course, we've discussed suicide uh, right. multiple, on, times. On multiple times. Yeah. Um, I think it was just like an evocative thing to write in the late 70s in Sting's case. You know, it was just like, here's an evocative thing. Mm-hmm. It was a time when people were writing dark songs, uh, Nick Lowe's Mary Provost or, uh, or the Boomtown Rats, so I don't like Mondays. There's There was a lot of very, very subversive stuff to try and get on a, to get on the radio and get attention. Right. And uh, now I think that somehow Juliana's version of Can't Stand Losing You on this, <clears throat> it's not, it's not, nasty or dark or it's some there's and maybe because her voice is just a little soft obviously more feminine than, yeah, than yeah. stings or there's something about it that um there's something where i i feel so much sympathy for the character in the song when she sings it as opposed to there it just being just flat out dark humor when sting mm-hmm. sees on, sings it on the original um i don't know yeah she she, she liked the idea of singing uh roxanne you know, in, in the female voice. That's wonderful, yeah. I always love gender switch on yeah. song things. It's I always think that's a very, very cool. In fact, um, my friend uh, uh, Ben, uh, Benjamin, uh, who works at Fender, but his, his wife, Tommy, is a tremendous singer. So they have the Tommy Ash Band. So yeah, uh, the Tommy Ash Band does a cover of Waylon Jennings' tune, and, and she, she, she changes the gender, she changes the lyric, but I've been advocating that she not do that because I, the, I don't think the song requires, I don't think there's any confusion mm-hmm. because of it. I think the song exists perfectly. And then there's maybe a more compelling story, not saying it has to be necessarily a lesbian story at, at all. Mm-hmm. It could just change through it, who, why are we to assume that it's, it's, it's two lovers at all when you can throw a song off in that way. Yeah. I think it's a little, it's very, very exciting. Um, so yeah. And then, yeah. And, so for a woman to sing Roxanne, why not? Yeah, I think it's great. And uh, so, yeah, we had a great little chat. It's uh, This interview is going to appear in Discussions Magazine and Amped Magazine. I'll be providing links on our page uh, once those go live. And uh, let me share just a little bit of yeah, uh, let's, I the mean, conversation. Because cool. we, we had a lot of great uh, exchanges. And here's one uh, where I asked her about her re-record of Every Breath You Take. Every Breath You Take remains easily the most successful and widely known composition from the Police songbook. Uh, but curiously enough, you originally recorded your own version and released it back in 2000, uh, appearing as a hard-to-find bonus track on an import version of the Beautiful Creature album. Uh, why did you choose to revisit this song nearly 20 years later, and how would you contrast the two versions? Um, it's like... It's like I'm Captain Ahab and every breath you take is Moby, my Moby Dick. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I just feel like I needed to take another stab at it. I didn't yeah. slay. I didn't quite slay it last time. Although I, I let, you know, actually, this is going to sound really insane, but 
at the end, uh, my earlier version of the song, at the end of it, when it starts repeating at the end on the outro, it's like, um, I'll be watching you. You know, that part, like, yeah. I'll be watching you. And then it goes, ooh. I did it one time too early. I don't know if I can even explain this, but Sting does, he goes, ooh. After four times through, I'll be watching you. Uh-huh. But on my earlier version, I did it on the third time. And it always bugs That's me. That's always been, okay. <laughs> it's been a thorn yeah, in your so side. Yeah, so now I, to, I needed to do it again so I could do the ooh on the fourth Place time. Place it on the fourth one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, but that's part of it. But seriously, I just wanted, I wanted to um, come at it from a different angle and where it was a little bit um, cruddier and mushier and um, yeah. more stark, more pared down than... My version, my version from 2000 was more like, kind of like grunge. Mm-hmm, that was right, what I was right. in, into at the time. And I, I just wanted to do something that was a little bit more dynamic and, and weird. Yeah, so I would recommend that as of November 15th, you guys go out and check out Juliana Hatfield Sings the Police. And uh, she's going to be out on tour after the first of the year. So I think in January, I mean, she's already got dates posted now, so... Um, try to get out and catch her. She'll be playing songs from this record, and I, I actually asked her also about when she's out on the road playing these songs, whether it's the Olivia Newton-John cover songs from the previous cover record or these police songs or anything else she takes out there that she hasn't written, mm-hmm. how she feels about being the potential conveyor of that first listen to somebody oh. from an, a removed generation. Yeah. I mean, these are all songs like the Olivia Newton-John and the police songs. I know were part of my youth, Yep, but... They're not on the radio so much today, unless right. you seek out that specific, mm-hmm. you know, era channel on Sirius yeah, or whatever. So for fans of hers to come out and see and hear these songs for the first time, I mean, I, I love being exposed to a song for the first time by somebody totally different than the originator. Hmm. And then doing the research and backtracking and then yeah. finding that artist out, finding that catalog out. And uh, so she, she really loves the possibility of that happening. Yeah. Um, and I think that's great when that does happen. I'm, I always just... I'm always searching for stuff. And it goes back to this Ken Burns Country ah, music documentary. Yes. Carl, by the way, Carl did, our, our friend Carl Alvarez did such a beautiful job of oh, conveying great, what he saw before we saw it. Right. Um, you know, but as I said, Ken Burns, I trust you. Yeah. I, I, you know, it doesn't matter what the topic is. Um, over the years, we've grown to learn his pacing. Uh, we, we just trust it. Also, from here on out, everything has to be narrated by Peter Coyote. Just, <laughs> I want everything yes. narrated by Check Peter Coyote. Check that box. Beautifully done. Uh, I really love that it, from the first episode, it clearly establishes that country music has always had the congenial, safe country star, you know, mm-hmm. family friendly. And, the, and then there was always some sort of maverick. Yeah. Anti- faction that breaks off. Yeah, for every Gene Autry, there was a Jimmy Rogers. Yeah, for every I don't know who, if, if, if not Eddie Arnold, maybe even for every Ernest Tubb, there was a a Hank Williams, and for every Kenny Rogers, there was a, a Willie Nelson. If, I mean, you could just go yeah. on and on with this this vast, you know, and have arguments on either side. Mm-hmm. Both are valuable. Both are part of the whole thing. Um, also, it and it. It does seem as though it does answer the way no one has ever been satisfied with what is country. It's always a retroactive argument. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to it's just kind of country music that came out 
when I was between these ages, that's what real country music yeah. is. It's, yeah. it's a classic thing. Um, now, it took me like, I mean, that was how many hours? 16. 16 hours. It took me like a week and a half to get through it all, just in my infinite free time that I've got. Yeah. Um, but as I chipped away at it, I found myself uh, taking notes, because, and I, you know, I'm learning along the way as well. I mean, I sure. think I know the country music timeline a little bit, yeah. but I'm picking up a lot along the way with this with this series. And, uh, you know, I do these annual little uh, playlists, sure. the Dave's Faves. Not I little call them. at all, actually. They're not little. But I decided at one point years ago to go back in time and just, like, I'm covering the entire history of recorded music, and I'm gathering songs from every year that okay. recorded music was made and made available. Wow. And so... I haven't completed all my early uh, teens, 20s, 30s decades yet, mm-hmm. for, a little bit of the 40s. So I'm trying to fill those in as I can. And uh, and sitting down watching that Ken Burns doc, you know, there'll be like a Carter family tune that they're playing a bit of. Or they make mention of like a, a Carter family melody that Woody Guthrie borrowed to make, you yeah. know, one of his popular songs. Or I'm, I'm getting these little stories or hearing little things. It's like, oh, I love that. Oh, okay, let me research that. Next day, I get on the computer and I start researching, and I start okay. I need to add that to the nineteen thirty-two oh, oh, collection or whatever. <laughs> and so I was really just digging, getting into some of this new music that was eighty years old or yep. <laughs> longer, and uh, and the stories that go along with everything. It's just like you said, it's just put together like in such a way. It's so educational and entertaining at the same time that yeah. you don't you don't watch it as work. No, you just you're no, just no. you're soaking in it like a warm tub, you know. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't feel that way at all. Um, so beautifully done, and and uh, um, I really enjoyed. You know, it's I actually use the um, the episode that kind of covers the outlaw movement as a bit of research because mm-hmm. I was about to host the offender uh, live uh, episode. Fender uh, play live. Fender play live. That's thank you. Um, with my friend Chris Masterson was was able to yeah to get out of the studio. He, he and his wife Eleanor were well. We'll play Masterson song later today. Uh, in this episode, in fact, we'll we'll play it pretty soon. Um, but uh, he left Eleanor to finish some vocal tracks of her own. He kind of ran over and and uh, did the show with me, which was a tremendous amount of fun. Uh, and I just think just the week before, I did the Power Pop episode with, right. with Vicky Pearson. Yeah, that was great. Which was wonderful, and because uh, I never I don't get to see her nearly as often as I'd like. And um, I think that was just the one day that week that she was in town, so she was able to she came down and and brought uh, her Stratocasters, which she, and. Which I think she always thought was a '67, and and some of the folks there at Fender think it may have been actually a '64. The the year on this thing's not quite fixed, yeah, but yeah. Um, so it was really nice of her to have brought that down. It's always a treat to get to play something like that. Uh, but yeah, but to the outlaw thing, uh, you know, to discuss it as a because part of my job on that day was to say, well, as as a guitar player, how do you indicate? outlaw country like if you were to get a gig and or a session it's like can you kind of make kind of give it like an outlaw guitar sort yeah. of thing like what does that mean and so i kind of just dug into what that means but as chris points out and mostly because you know he's he plays with steve earl and steve is the one who really really goes on about this too is that the outlaw movement was really more of a business thing more is as much a business thing than it was a musical it thing. It was an and, option at the time. And the documentary does a great job of, of showing that, that this was yeah. mainly Waylon not getting to record the tunes with his band the way that he knew was killing live. But when it went in to, to go in and make the records... They weren't allowed to use those guys. No, or they want to put price strings and choirs on. You know, well, yeah, the Nashville the thing. The Nashville yeah. thing. Right. 
which is fine for others. Right. Some of my favorite records have all that going on. Uh, but it was just a matter of, I, and also, you know, I can't help but, you know, Marvin Gaye had just gone through this with Motown. And we, we see this happening in other genres around that time. Just there's a certain independence that the artist wanted. By the way, they weren't willing to absolutely leave the support of a major label, by the way. Yeah. That comes later yeah. in other genres. The part where like, well, why don't we just not have a label? It's not quite that moment, it, but it's sort of like, can you just let me do this my way and I think it'll turn out okay. So, uh, but obviously with the guitar, especially with Waylon, you put a phaser on telly right. and it's like, oh, Done. oh, that, that thing. <laughs> yes, that thing. And then of course the Willie stuff, which I was- Yeah, that was great. Um, <laughs> with the irony, well, not the irony, it's just a coincidence. Uh, I was in Austin uh, while I was kind of doing my prep for the outlaw thing and then spent the day with my friend of over, well over 20 years, Amy Nelson, who happens to be one of Willie's uh, daughters. And it's always fun to study, you know, Willie's guitar playing. It's very unique. Again, that's one of those guitar players, one note, and you pretty much, you know who you're hearing. And, um, or that flurry of notes. Or the other, yeah, that that trill thing. Well, just to play on a nylon string guitar, what you would normally play on electric or any other that just that alone yeah. makes it. It's almost like going up. It's like going up to to the plate in a baseball game with a, with a tennis racket. You know, <laughs> it's like well, that's a that's an interesting choice. And he goes, yeah, I'm just sticking with it. Um, but I love doing those Fender things. Also, I'm, and then also uh, like tomorrow, I'll be filming a video. You know, I do the Facebook stuff every now and then. Uh, either as a guest, in this case, in the month of October, their normal host was on the road, so they had to have like guest hosts. So I was kind of doing a bit of a what I don't know, David Brenner back in the old Carson days. Now, hey, I, look at me with the timely references. Right. Now I'm watching them on <laughs> YouTube. Are they streaming on both, both. platforms? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. so fa- Facebook and YouTube at the same time, Correct. and then YouTube. I know they're archived, mm-hmm. so you can go back if you didn't catch it live. Go back and watch yeah. them in their entirety. So yeah, the recent ones, Power Pop with Vicky Peterson yeah. of the Bengals. And then uh, with Chris Masterson, you did the Outlaw Country. Country. And so what other ones are, are on the horizon? Can well, you speak I to that? Uh, I, 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 uh, or do we know? I think we, I mean, we, we talk about maybe like an Americana episode, which could be a little tough because that's a very open thing to, to, to talk about. Um, I would like to do, I know that the Fenders come out with their, their electric 12 string again. So, yeah. So I'd love to, do I'd love to be involved edition. in it. Well, just, yeah, you just jangle 12 string, how to use this thing. What You're do, just trying to find a way to play some Tom Petty. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, you know, well, <laughs> the thing is, when we do those episodes, they have the Fender Play is, is a subscription service that has online lessons. Yes. So you're, we're essentially selling that. That's the product right. that we're pushing. Right. So, um, so the songs that we actually play there are the ones to which they're part of that package. <clears throat> correct. Sure. And, uh, and to which they have the rights for us to play that. Now I can Excellent. play a little bit of something because it's uh, I think the fair use or whatever. Right. Is, yeah. You know, Thirty seconds or less. Correct. Or something like that. Um, in fact, we were. I don't know. I, it may have been the Bakersfield one where I kind of looked around like, "Am I allowed to play yeah. a snippet of this?" Yeah. And, it, and then legal I was like, "Yeah, you're fine." <laughs> um, so uh, you know, I don't know. Whatever comes up, honestly. I, I mean. Uh, they do, you know, they just crank every Wednesday. They're making those things, and and Perry Martin, uh, the the lovely guy who puts who uh, direct produces and directs those things, you know, by Wednesday night is like, oh my god, it's over, and you just know the next morning he's waking up. It's probably like the Senate Live people is like putting the next one together. Got to get the next one together. Right. Got to get the guests. Gotta, you know. <laughs> Already stressing on day one. Yeah, sure. <laughs>
Um, but they make it a, a tremendous amount of fun. And then I also do the other videos where I just kind of demonstrate new products or, or even or um, like um, been like doing a lot or... of stuff. The amps or certain guitars or certain line of guitars. Yeah. Uh, I know that I'm in the middle of doing things with. You can buy, like, let's say you have a Stratocaster and you want to switch out the pickups. Well, you can buy the pick guard with the pickups already on it, like the entire harness. You just buy that as one piece, and then there's, I think, there's two points of soldering to do. And mm. Minimal electronic know-how is, is yeah. required to, to drop that thing in there. And uh, so I know uh, tomorrow I think I'm doing Texas Specials, which is kind of like a Stereo Vaughn vibe. Oh, nice. Um and so those are fun. Those are a lot of fun to do. Um, no, I love it. I, yeah, the, and I, I, even when the cameras are off, the uh, just the tone of, of the people that work for that company, it's just they're tremendously positive people. And very they're very good yeah. at their jobs, um, but they're just supportive of each other. And uh, it's it's just, um, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful experience. I'm, just, I'm really, really lucky. has come for us to part ways Cause we both know I'm happy when I'm moving You and me will see some brighter days On our way Happy when I'm moving Best made plans sometimes get rearranged Change. We're all just working through it. In the end, our story's what remains. It's all that's left. I'm happy when I'm moving. Tangled and untethered in the throne's boards far and wide. Searching for a break or just some peace of mind And all that stays the same, it gathers dust But never us Happy when I'm moving something to it Sure it's good to see all my old friends But I can't stay long Happy when I'm moving 
charted and unscripted and in no uncertain terms it's another lesson lived another learned and all that stays the same it starts to rust never else happy when I'm moving mm, happy when I'm Right, that was Happy When I'm Moving by the Mastersons, my good friend Chris, good friends Chris and Eleanor. They're wrapping up uh, a new album uh, with Shooter Jennings uh, behind the board. That's right. Uh, and so uh, as soon as that comes out, hopefully we'll have both of them on as a guest, uh, as guests, sorry, and uh, and certainly get to play some of that for you. But I think they're tremendous Very people. Cool. Please go out and look them up. Uh, unless, if you see them with Steve, sometimes they open the show yeah, and then yeah. they're in Steve's band or see them on their own or any combination. And of. they get a little spotlight in Steve's show. I oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially Eleanor. <laughs> yeah. And that's when she sings or plays. That's, that's, a, that's a spotlight. Anytime. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about some new music. What are you listening to? Let's talk about it. Yeah. Uh, there's a new album by cigarettes after sex that, uh, that I enjoy. They had uh, a great single that came out about a year or two back about a year ago. Um, kind of dreamy, dreamy pop. Okay. music and the lead singer is a male but i swear to god it sounds like it's a female singing so i get but portugal the man fooled me a couple of years chet ago baker. i mean i gotta oh, play yeah. chet baker and it's <laughs> that's true. what chick is that <laughs> oh that's chet all that i want is to be yours falling in love falling in love deeper Uh, the other thing, uh, recently, I'm not sure if I talked about it much, but the soundtrack to Red Dead Redemption mm. um, is a video game soundtrack, yeah. and Daniel Lenoir put that together. No kidding. And it's just, it's gorgeous. Um, you know, dreamy, pedal steel type stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and he got Willie Nelson on a track. Uh, There's a song called Cruel World. And I asked him about this uh, at this Amoeba in store afterwards. Um, I thought, well, Willie sounds fantastic on this song. Is this a leftover take from, from the teatro record, yeah. right? It's just no. We were, you know, I, I had I had the song and Willie was in town and uh I invited he and Micah over to the studio yeah. at my house and we recorded it. And I'm like, he sounds <laughs> I mean, I, it's kind of hard to I mean, I don't want to say it in like cuz you know, it's it, just like you're so shocked. Yeah, it's like it just he's he sounded he somehow sounded 20 years younger in this and I don't know how he brought that to the foreground but it just it's beautiful and uh uh it's one of my favorite tracks of the year and i've been listening to when i get on a daniel lenoir kick mm -hmm. i just go 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 yeah there's certain i think have we talked about that like i'm like that with roy orbison sometimes like oh, yeah. i can't mix in my roy orbison with other stuff <laughs> it's gotta and, be yeah. and tom waits is the same for me I, I once i'm listening to tom waits i i can't he's not in the shuffle you know what i'm saying um, I mentioned last episode the new album by Big Thief called Two Hands that is out now. 
Uh, grab that one. It's one of my favorites of the year. There's new music from X. Oh. Uh, in the form of a seven-inch single right now. There's a song called Delta 88 Nightmare um, that originally popped up on the X anthology that came out many years ago uh, in a demo. It's like one of their early demos they did, but it never showed up on an X album. Okay, so- so this is like among the first new music recorded by the original lineup of X in quite a while. Mm-hmm. I know they did like a couple Christmas songs that were digital, you know, like for you yeah. know, iTunes or whatever. But um, th- these are X songs recorded by the original lineup of X this year. Uh, there's an A and a B side. I think the B side is Cyrano de Berger's Back, I think, which is another yeah. older X song. Yeah. But I, from what I read, there's about five or six songs huh. that were recorded in the session. And I just think it's awesome that they're recording music as opposed to just doing the you know going out on the road playing songs off the first three sure. four records as they have been doing which is still great sure but uh to have something new is no just argument. like yeah. certainly gets my my blood going um and probably the best thing that i've heard recently uh there's a single out by matt berninger of the national and phoebe bridgers who we've talked about before. oh yeah we have yeah uh there's a, a song called walking on a string okay it's not on an album. In fact, there are two different versions of this song, uh, duets on both of them, um, but two different versions where Phoebe's featured more prominently on, I think, the second one, and okay. Matt more on the other one. Um, absolutely fell in love with this. I, I've always been a fan of uh, of The National and, and Matt's phrasing yeah. and the sound of his voice, and he's a great pairing with Phoebe, who is kind of on a roll in the last couple of years herself. Um, they both have solo albums coming out next year. I'm wondering if these two versions crossover are coming from those two re- solo records, possibly. But the the funny thing here is, uh, I know I haven't caught up on the movies that you talked about in the last episode, the right. Tarantino film or uh, the, the Beatles movie. And, um, but there was one movie I caught up on caught up on recently, and it was uh, Between Two Ferns, uh-huh. the movie with Zach Galifianakis. Okay. I want to watch that. The song is in it. Into the garden by the hand. You've always helped me walking on a So in this in this film there's a bar scene. Okay. And uh, it's kind of like a down and out kind of scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, they walk into this bar and this song comes on by this band and it's sort of like a melancholy kind of thing. And uh, it's almost a turning point in the film. I'd like to think it's because of this beautiful song. But the name of the band, <laughs> the name of the band in the film is uh, The Spiders from Bars. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so uh, Between Two Ferns features this song. This song is not on any album yet, but uh, if you can get on Spotify or iTunes or anywhere That's else. a good tribute band name. Right. Do like a Bowie, do a Ziggy Stardust everything. It's you know, the Spiders from Bars. Well, I think they figured, well, because we are- My are... favorite, the best is still the Faux Fighters. <laughs> I just figured, like, oh, they're playing a scene in a bar, so let's, let's come up with the name of that band, even though we know who we are. Uh, right. And, and that's who they are. And it's not really featured too prominently in the film, but when they released the single on streaming- uh, between those two versions of the song, I spent a good four or five hours playing them yeah. back to back, trying to figure out which one I loved even more oh. than the other one. And I, it's, it was hard. They're both so great. So I really checked that one out. Um, <laughs> what have you been listening to? You know, a couple so, uh, we were in Dallas. We had some downtime. We were just driving around Dallas in the car, Mitch Jameson and I, and, uh, we were listening to, you know, I, I 
don't remember the station, but it was something to the uh, left of the dial, mm-hmm. in the words of my beloved, repla- beloved replacements. Yes. And um, heard a band based kind of out of Austin called Black Pumas, a song called Colors. Well, here's a, hit a little sample of it right here. And so Black Pumas is kind of a uh, kind of a two-headed monster. Um, the the two guys, the, uh, the 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 lead singer, his name is Eric Burton, and then um, the producer, uh, multi instrumentalist guy is Adrian Quesada. And Adrian Quesada is an Austin guy. And I think Eric had been here in L.A. Some, uh, as a singer songwriter, then kind of floated over to Austin, and this thing's kind of caught fire. And as you can hear, so they really there's it's it's definitely it's rock, it's neo soul, it's um, uh, it gets a little psychedelic at some point. They, they, there's a really interesting cover of Eleanor Rigby. If you find that on YouTube somewhere, they've been doing it on live radio stuff. Um, and so I'm just really, really into again a band uh, that kind of remind me like of like the Revivalists, who I believe are out of New Orleans. Um, these kind of new rock bands that are again addressing the dance floor. There's a there's just some groove and a little soul funk to it, but it still kind of has the the guitars are, are, are in the mix in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Extraordinary singer. Um, so please check them out. Black Pumas. Another great song, by the way, is Black Moon Rising by by the Black Pumas. It's so okay. There's a couple of good tunes, but that's really had me excited lately. Also mentioning New Orleans, uh, we did a gig there a couple weeks ago, and afterwards we, we got to the hotel kind of early after the show. Well, early for New Orleans standard, mm-hmm. and... Uh, <laughs> So Jameson said, well, I'm going to go to Frenchman Street and just catch some live music. I said, yeah, that'd be great. So we went uh, to Frenchman Street and popped into one club and was listening to this one band. And we went across the street and there was a, a band. I don't even know if they have any records, to be honest, but but a guy, these guys called the uh, the Jumbo Shrimp Jazz Band. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. And mm-hmm. they were playing at the Spotted Cat Music Club. And I think they have somewhat of a residency there. So if anybody's in New Orleans, look those guys up. A lot of fun. Great trad you know, New Orleans jazz music. And then they were very, very, they were kind enough to have me sit in for a song, which was really, really, really gracious of them. Um, and I, it wasn't until afterwards that I realized, oh, that was a bit of a dream come true to be in New Orleans and then be yeah. invited to jump up on stage yeah, and, right. and play something. So um, a shout out to those guys or, or just look them up at uh, uh, jumboshrimpjazzband.com and, and check them out. Just look at their videos. It's just it's music that makes you happy. Nice. And they're really, really lovely people, uh, really fun guys. Uh, so that's kind of been the the latest um i've also been checking out a a band called dusk and a band called beach slang but i don't have any specific tracks to really kind of suggest just yet maybe by the next episode i'll have i'll have a better hold of them um and that's kind of that's kind of it for me really right now yeah well record store day black friday is just around the corner when this episode comes out i think we'll be a week 
two weeks uh, in front of it. Oh, well, uh, kind of in terms of record store day or just special yeah. things. Um, I got the box set of Don't Tell a Soul by the replacements oh, yeah. that Rhino Records. Of course, yeah. Rhino. We you know always trust Rhino. Always good. But uh, my friend Bob Mayer, who does intend on coming onto the oh, show, yeah. he's just got to get in L.A. Yeah. Um, but he was lovely enough to uh, to send it over to the house. Boy, this is it's 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 just so. You went wonderful. in hibernation for a couple of days. I did. I really did disappear because <laughs> it's the original mix. Um, instead of the one that Chris Lord Algae, who is someone actually I, I know uh, now uh, through Dwight, um, Chris was hired to to give it a modern feel for that time, and he did the job that he was paid to do, and I think he did a great job mm-hmm. at the time. But it's also nice to now go back and hear that material in a way that's maybe not as. Um, for lack of a better term, dated. Right, right, right. But again, that's what it was supposed to be. Uh, but now we go back and hear it, and um, there's a lot of outtakes. One night, Tom Waits came I over. I saw, yeah, I checked those out. I think the bottle of Jack Daniels <laughs> was cracked open, and, and it just they just played How did that happen? Also, there's a, another, and then uh, there's like four discs. Uh, the, the box I got has a, a vinyl copy of the original mix. Oh, cool. But then there's ex, there's CDs of everything. Oh, there's a, a live gig in Milwaukee that's, looking at the set list, I was like, oh, this is probably the ultimate replacement show in, in some way. Because practically every song you'd want to hear them do mm-hmm. is done. Now, of course, Bob Stinson, the original guitar player, isn't in the band anymore at that point. So that could, for some people, that may kill it. But, but um, I, I don't know, man. It's it's just it's such a great great document. <laughs> it's such a great document. Um, Christmas so want, is coming, guys. So yeah. yeah, if you've got any replacements fans out there, yeah, it's it's Gene perfect. Recommends. Oh, it's lovely. Oh, it's just it's just so lovely. And Bob, I you know. You, you did a beautiful job on that thing because he's kind of now their archivist. He's, he was their biographer, and now he's—I think he's just sort of been oh, really? trusted with that. Wow. Well, I'll—I should have him explain that a little more when sure. he gets on the show. So anyway, that's that's the other thing I was listening to. Sorry. Nice. Go. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, Black Friday record store day mm-hmm. coming up uh, day after, after Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, and uh, the list is out. So go check it out at recordstoreday.com. There's a handful of things, a large handful that I'm looking for. Uh, I'm not going to go into all those so much, but there is like a. A Hank Williams collection of uh, recordings from 1940, which are really early for him. Yeah. I think like the second year he was recording. But on the subject you were just talking, there's um, the first ever vinyl issue of uh, Paul Westerberg's Stereo Mono albums. Oh. oh. Yeah. This, and then the Grandpa With Boy. The Grandpa thi- Boy, oh. yeah, yeah. So that first time on vinyl, that's top of my list. I probably should have mentioned this because uh, <laughs> now I've reduced my odds of... Of grabbing it, <laughs> uh, but one thing that uh, is kind of cool, I'm I'm on the fence about getting. And since I did talk about the National earlier, the National has uh, a a three cassette release coming out. You tapes because tapes are around. Do you have a cassette deck? I, I would I have no way of playing it. Okay, I'll you come over to my house. Uh, it's live at the Greek uh, in Berkeley um, from last year. The whole story behind this, now I don't have all the info here in front of me, but this is a, a Google search away real quick. Um, there was a famous bootleg taper back in the 70s, mm-hmm. and I think even into the 80s a bit, that recorded Led Zeppelin, Bruce Springsteen, all kinds of big names, important shows, yeah. and his recording quality. Because back then, this is like, you know, you're, bring, you're smuggling no, your you. stuff yeah. in, and I used to do this too, but this guy had great, great results, huh. really high-fidelity sounding audience recordings. And then he would always, you know, as people were trading tapes in the mail, he would draw on the inserts with colored pens or wow. whatever, you know, and kind of design and then send those out. And so he kind of had a reputation of his design of his final product, his recording of the actual shows. 
the reason he was able to get such good quality recordings, I think he was able to bring in good equipment because he was in a wheelchair. And I think the equipment was part of yeah, yeah, the rig. Yeah. And uh, so this guy had a reputation. He probably had specific seating. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. So all that you know, makes sense. the stars were aligning for this guy. Yeah. And he was a pretty popular, legendary bootlegger. Do you, dude, he, have a, he must have had a nickname of some sort. He did. I just can't oh, okay, remember. No, right. I don't just have going. it here. That's but but uh, the story is still there nonetheless. Sure. And uh, he passed away, uh, I'm not sure how long ago. So he's gone now. But his legend is out there. It yeah. lives on. These recordings, the, the story of how he did it and, and everything. Matt from the the National got wind of the story, and I don't know if he's a fan of these recordings to begin with, or if he became a fan of the story that he came I across. I imagine he was. He thought, you know what? Wonder what it would have sounded like. Uh, so he emulated. They did exactly <laughs> that. That's great. And uh, so that's coming out, and I'm tempted just because it's coming out on cassette the way you would have received it from this guy in the mail. Sure. And uh, and I. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, that's a fun one. It's very so fun. I'll be on on the lookout for that maybe. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's it for the new music. Right. I mean, there's plenty coming out next year too. By the way. Oh yeah. I'm already seeing some early advanced singles of oh, yeah. uh, tracks by like the Innocence Mission, Destroyer, Isabel Campbell. You familiar with Isabel Campbell, Bell and Sebastian? Oh yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't she, know the name. There's a uh, a single out of her doing Running Down a Dream. Oh. Also, new Rufus Wainwright. Oh no kidding! I know you like him. Oh cool, yeah, absolutely. So uh, there's stuff always coming. All right. Well, here time for the thank yous. It's time. So this episode, as always, was brought to you by Satellite Amplifiers. That's yesterday's technology today. Check them out at SatelliteAmps.com. I love you, Adam. And also, I want to thank the Mastersons for letting us play one of their wonderful tracks. And uh, again, I'm sure there'll be guests on the on the show pretty soon. And thank you to uh, my friend Vicky Peterson of the Bengals uh, for uh, for the ID and for being such a lovely uh, friend and such a great guest on that Fender Play uh, episode we did. I'd like to thank Joe Spadaro at American Laundromat Records, also Juliana Hatfield. Thank you for the uh, for making an appearance on the show musically. Hopefully, we'll have you in uh, at the beginning of the year as she comes through town. Go out and uh, find Juliana Hatfield sings the Police out November fifteenth. At music retailers everywhere. We're coming to you today from uh, the Den, the Den, which is Ted Russell Camp's studio. Uh, actually, I kind of broke in, but I want to thank <laughs> Ted Russell Camp for letting us use his studio today. For Thanks, this. Ted. We're gonna we're gonna fill the tank. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, the Jukebox Graduate is available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Alexa, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Overcast, and more. But the big news is yeah. the Jukebox Graduate is now available to stream on Spotify. Spotify. So we're happy to be there. Thank you for listening to us wherever you listen. And wherever you do listen, please rate, review, and subscribe to us, whether it's iTunes or anywhere else. We'd love to hear from you and hear how we're doing at thejukeboxgraduate.com. On Twitter, we are at thejukeboxgraduate. And Facebook, the Jukebox Graduate. Time for the lyrics. Sometimes my burden is more than I can bear. It's not dark yet, but it's getting there. I'm Dave Rayburn. I know a man. He came from my hometown. He wore his passion for his woman like a thorny crown. He said, Dolores, I live in fear. My love for you so overpowering, I'm afraid that I will disappear. I'm Eugene Edwards, and this has been the Jukebox Graduate.